So we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, if you want to find your way there. I read the passage for us, James 5, 13 to 20. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man of a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time you've given us to read your word, to be encouraged and strengthened by it, to be challenged by it. Lord, we give this time to you and ask that your spirit would have its way in our hearts and uh, challenge us to become more like Jesus this morning. Be with us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, I have something to share with you, obviously, maybe, because I'm standing up here with a microphone. Um, Paperclips. You guys like paperclips? Pretty cool, right? I mean, they've got multiple uses. I mean, you could definitely, like, hold some pages together. So that's neat. Um, you can also, like, turn them into, like, a sword and, like, jab things. Anyway, all right, that's not the use I'm talking about today. Um, paperclips. So do you know who invented paperclips? 1899. Johan Valier, a Norwegian inventor with degrees in electronics, science, and mathematics, invented the paperclip. So that's all it takes, folks. Three degrees, and you too could create something as simple as a paperclip. <clears throat> he was, uh, received his patent for design in Germany in 1899. Norway didn't have any patenting laws at the time. Uh, he was part of a local invention office there in Norway, and, uh, and came up with this idea of a spring material of one piece of wire that's bent, rectangular, triangle, or otherwise, in a hoop shape to hold papers together. The first person to patent the paperclip design. Um, interestingly, it's got some kind of cool background in World War II, um, because during World War II, I guess when uh, Germany was you know, going through Norway, they weren't, Norwegians weren't allowed to wear a medal of any kind that had the king's initials on it. They were forbidden from wearing certain medals designating their allegiance. So in defiance, people wore paper clips instead all throughout Norway as a sign of solidarity of the Norwegian people during World War II. Um, a a paperclip is uh, meant to bind things together. And today we're talking about one thing that binds all things together, and that's Jesus. 
we like him here, and we talk about him a lot. Um, but this one passage really reminds me of this, and I go back to it time and time again, that this is really all about Jesus and what he wants to do in your life, and that's what this passage is even about. But it reminds me of Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Jesus is the image. I'm going to paraphrase because everywhere through here, there's the, what's the grammatical term for the pronoun he? For a second, anyone know what the pronoun is called? Amber, help me out. Third, is, if it's saying he instead of the name, third person subject, right? Okay. All right. So they use the third person subject throughout, and I'm going to replace that with Jesus. It's not what's actually. Anyway. Okay. You got it? Uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. He's a paperclip, see? There you go. And he, Jesus, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself, God, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. As we walk through this passage that talks about a variety of circumstances that you could be walking through this very day, remember that Jesus is at the center of this. He holds this all together. And God is speaking to you about what he has done in Jesus that changes every circumstance you walk through. He's the paperclip that holds all of this together. So what does James say in conclusion to this letter he's writing to persecuted Christians who've been persecuted out of Jerusalem to the surrounding regions because of their faith in Jesus, to encourage them in what they're walking through. He concludes his letter with this. Is anyone among you suffering? Pray. If anyone among you is suffering, pray. Not once, continually. Be in prayer. Be in a state of prayer. When you are in suffering, ask the Lord. Ask him whatever question you want. Ask him why. Ask him what now. Ask him where to. Whatever question you want. When you're suffering, pray. At the beginning of this letter, he opens it by saying, Consider it pure joy when you meet trials of many kinds. We read that our first week in this, and we're just like, what? Consider it pure joy when the worst of the worst is happening to you, when you're scattered among the nations because of what you believe. Consider it pure joy in every circumstance. Pray. Why? Because Jesus is with you when you are suffering. He, he has a plan and a purpose 
in every suffering moment you have. And so, yeah, you might not understand it. And why does James give you the advice he does? Because you need to learn to understand it. He wants to teach you in the midst of suffering something about himself and something about you. See, his purpose, God's purpose, I believe, in all things, in every challenge, every success, every circumstance, is to capture your heart. He wants you to understand how much he has poured himself out for you, how much he loves you to every end of the earth. He wants to capture your heart. He wants you to fully understand just how much, how deep and wide is the love of Christ Jesus for you. He wants you to know it beyond a shadow of a doubt that anything that you would ever go through, you would stand firm in Jesus Christ. So yeah, does suffering come in your life? I think James says, yeah, it it, it does. And it doesn't get removed immediately, always. So when it's there, if you're suffering, pray. He is with you in your suffering. He has purpose in your suffering. And so ask him what it is. Cry out to him. Question him. He is big enough for your questions when you're suffering and he wants to hear them. So pray. Pray. Second, is anyone cheerful? Yes, the Bible talks about happiness. It can, it can be had. James even acknowledges, surprisingly, given the content of James, that happiness could exist. A time of happiness. Are you in a time of happiness? Then sing praise. Sing praise to God. Not just one time, continually. The verb is literally a continual singing of praise, of psalms, that is. Praise to the Lord. Sing praise to the Lord. If God has got you in a season where, you know, you're happy, you know, whatever that kind of definition is or whatever, you feel that contentment, you feel the contentment, be happy. Don't hold it into yourself and definitely don't like, you know, attribute it to yourself but rather sing praise. Because from whom does come your happiness? From whom does come every good and perfect gift? Comes down from above, from the Father of lights. So if you're happy, then sing God praise. He's with you in your suffering, and so we ought to pray and understand it better. He's with you in your happiness too. Just as a father or a mother loves to dote on their children, or maybe more importantly, I mean, a grandparent likes to dote on their, on their grandchildren, right? We just love to give them anything and run away. Um, in that way, God wants to show you his love. And so if you're in a season where it's happy, praise God for that. If you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, praise. And third, if anyone among you is sick. He's got some very specific instructions for us that I'm going to walk through here. He says, 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. First two are pretty simple. Pretty easy to understand. The, the grammar of it's very simple, right? If you're suffering, pray. If you're happy, praise. Acknowledge that God is in all these things. This one's a little bit hard. We've got to give a little bit of context and background into what is going on. First of all, James acknowledges that our medical state, our health, or, you know, bad health potentially, our sickness, could actually have a couple of sources. One is general, right? We live in a fallen world. Things are broken. Bacteria can, like, grow and spread across the entire globe at a quick rate, you know. Anyone have any? Okay. Um, That can happen. So we live in a broken and fallen world, and that can happen, right? Things can move, and people can get sick. So we acknowledge that. The second, uh, you know, by calling that out within this passage, he does acknowledge that our sin can actually bring about sickness upon us. And so when he's talking about in the midst of like healing and uh, healing of sickness, um, you know, forgiveness and sin, what he's acknowledging is something that was actually also acknowledged at the time of its writing in sort of general culture, that your actions can have a result on your health. And so uh, he is acknowledging, you know, maybe if there's some sin in your life, like maybe you need to acknowledge that as part of what you're doing in the process of seeking some healing. Um, So James acknowledges that there are a couple of cases in which you could become uh, become sick to the point of like you're seeking help, right? Because that's what's happening here. Uh, It's not like a stuffy nose and you don't need a doctor for, it's like, I don't know what to do. I need to seek help. And so James is giving some very particular advice in this community. You should call the elders and they should pray for you and all of these things, right? You, you're at a place of sickness where it's beyond your uh, comfort. You're seeking some assistance, some help beyond your means, right? So it's not just like whatever. Um, and there's debate kind of about like, how sick this could be, and there's a whole kind of conversation about, is this like sick on your deathbed sick, or is this like sick and you're going to survive it sick, or whatever that is. I'm not worried about that debate. I'm worried about defining it as, it's at the place where you need some help. It's beyond, you know, what you can do in your household with, you know, whatever you've got around you, right? You, You need someone to come and assist you. It's beyond your knowledge. And so this is what uh, James tells him to do. If any of you is sick, find my place again, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And he's very certain about this. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So let's deal with the result first. The result that James gives is that the Lord will save the one who is prayed for, and two, the Lord will raise the person up. These two things James is absolutely certain of. The person will be saved and the person will be raised up. 
So the first thing I got to deal with is that he, we, the interpretation in this translation is save. Okay, so that sounds like salvation in a spiritual sense and all that, right? Contextually, the best way to interpret this is that he is talking about saving from a health perspective. Like the prayer of faith will result in your healing or that you know, malady being uh, addressed and fixed. So my interpretation is not from salvific, but actually from physical. We're praying for physical healing in this situation, and that is what he is saying. That will be, that will be healed, and the Lord will raise him up. So that's the result that we're talking about here. The second thing we need to talk about is what's actually being done. So anointing with oil, right? There's probably like, what are we doing with that? You know, what is that about? And should I be anointing myself with oil when I get sick and, like, do that? Should that be a practice that I should be about? So let's talk about uh, what those components are. First of all, prayer. That one's pretty easy. I think we can all acknowledge it's important for us to go to the Lord and say, Lord, we don't know. We don't know what to do. We've reached the end of our knowledge. Uh, even I've reached the end of my knowledge, and these people around me have reached the end of their knowledge about how we are to address this problem. Okay? And so where do we go? We ask God. God, we don't know. Uh, the remedies of the first century in Judea are not working. And so we need, we need your help prayer. We get that. We do that today, right? Uh, And, you know, we kind of like to think we've got everything figured out medically also. But the truth is, and if anyone's been around it long enough, uh, there are many occasions, actually, when you get to hospital, and at hospital, you are treated to the best of hospital's ability, and doctors stand around and say, you know, we don't know. We actually don't know. We think this or this or this, but we're not sure. It happens a lot. It turns out the body is very complex. It turns out it's you know, made by someone that is in all things and above all things and before all things and it's like very intricately detailed. So, again, we reach this place where we need to pray. We need to ask for help that's beyond our knowledge base. We pray. So the question is, what is anointing with oil? There are, uh, there's a debate, again, about this. Is it spiritual? Is it sacramental? Is it physical? Is it a medical, uh, is it a means of addressing the condition medically? Is it like literally a uh, prescription? For the, for the sickness. And I think if you look at the times in which oil is used, um, to me, the best reading of it is that it is symbolic. And I think it's symbolic of the Lord's presence. Of the Lord's presence in this situation. I think that what he's talking about is the Lord's presence. You know, when you're suffering, God is with you. When you're happy and content, God is with you, and you should sing him praise. When you're sick and you don't have an answer, you need to first ask God for help and very specifically, explicitly acknowledge that God is here and with you. 
So when David is anointed as king and they anoint him with oil, what are we saying? We're saying the presence of God is on this man and he's chosen to lead our people. When Jesus is anointed with oil before he goes to the cross, we're acknowledging explicitly and externally that that God is with this man. And so I think when we're talking about this scenario, we're not talking about some super spiritual element of oil. We're talking about externally acknowledging that the presence of God is on this brother or sister who is currently sick. Now, remember, this letter is written to Christians, right? This isn't just a general life application thing for, like, all all people. It it actually is written to Christians who have been scattered. So there's a context of who is receiving this. They are believers in Jesus, okay? So the encouragement to the church that's scattered among the nations outside of Jerusalem in persecution is, hey, listen, when you get sick and you don't know what to do, God is going to heal you by the prayer of faith and the anointing of oil. That is, he will heal you. And his presence is with you, definitively said and done on the cross. It is finished. So, your question that's hanging in the air, what happens when I don't get healed? Anyone have that question? Oh, okay, two, three. All right, everyone else is good with this. All right, so for you, listen, Luke, this is how it is, okay? God's purpose in all things, every challenge, every success, every circumstance is to capture your heart. He wants you to know him every hour of every day. Even in sickness, he wants you to know him. And so quickly, we can get into a scenario where we're sick, right? I'm like, Lord, just fix this now, like yesterday, fix it. You know, God's timing is above ours. God's solutions are not always ours. The fact is this, I'll say it very plainly. I think what James is is saying is that Christ has healed you. Ultimately, finally, your resurrected body is healed. All these sicknesses that you're going through, they will be done. They have an end point. There is a period on them. They've been defeated at the cross. It will be over. No sickness, no crying ever again. That's what God has bought us in Christ Jesus at the cross. I was going to read from 1 Corinthians about the resurrected body, but I just, you, you can go there if you'd like, uh, chapter 15. Um, but what he's telling us there is that there is a new body coming for us. This is not the vessel that we will be in in eternity. God has purchased us a heavenly body. In fact, this one, it will pass away. He's very explicit about that. Like a seed, it will die. Right? Even if you get healed from a sickness, every person that's ever been healed from a sickness, and that has happened, they do eventually die. 
So James is telling them, yeah, you, you will be healed, period, done. And you know what also? Whatever the circumstances are, you're going to be raised up. Ultimately, your hope is not in conquering this sickness. Your hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. Because in that resurrection is actually where you have all healing, all wholeness, all restoration to what God has called you to be and to do. So there is a certain result from prayer. For the believer, you are healed by his stripes. You are healed. That is true. Unfortunately, what can be the application of this prayer, and I'll just acknowledge it very explicitly as well, is that the application of this prayer can be, people try to, I should say, I don't think it's faithful to the text, but people try to say, well, if you didn't have enough faith inside your prayer, then you won't get the healing that you are supposed to get. So your continual sickness is a result of your lack of faith? Or actually, if you're true to the text, your continued sickness is uh, due to the lack of the faith of the prayer of the elders who came to pray for you. So the elders of the church don't have enough faith for you, actually. If you, if you were just taking what the word says in that to mean, you know, faith is lacking in the prayer. Healing will manifest. And sometimes it's immediate. And sometimes, so sometimes it is immediate, right? Like that, that happens, right? In Acts, you read the book of Acts, you see Peter's shadow walking across people and he's healing them. It happens, okay? And it happens to this day. People get healed. Sometimes it heals in time. Sometimes just the, the, the medical knowledge God has miraculously given to us, we should acknowledge that our advancement in medicine is a miracle. And so sometimes healing comes in time. But with certainty for the Christian, healing manifests in the end. And Jesus will raise you up. He is with you in your sickness. What James is very uh, firm about throughout the book from beginning to end is that we ought to pray and not doubt. God desires us to bring all that we are to him every suffering, every sickness, every, every uh, good thing we're walking through, he wants us to bring it to him. And do we have to understand the mechanics? No. We don't have to understand how prayer works. Because he's so explicit about our need to do it. He goes on and says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. In spite of what they were going through, they continued to proclaim the Lord, the Lord's presence and guidance in it. Oh, I skipped backwards. <laughs> no wonder I was confused. <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on. <clears throat> he says this, the prayer of a righteous has great power as it is working. Elijah, right? There we go. Okay. 
Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was up against the king of Ahab, who was worshiping the Baals. And he was in front of Ahab and spoke in the name of the Lord that, hey, listen, Ahab, it's not going to rain around here. Okay, in these days, it's not going to rain. And we don't, that one, we don't know if the Lord said that to him first and then he said it or if, you know, whatever. Like the, he felt in that moment that's what he needed to say to the king Ahab. He said that. And it says he prayed and it didn't rain. It doesn't give a time period in 1 Kings 17 of how long that lasts, but at some point the Lord comes to him and says, and you mentioned on Thursday, Jose, the Lord comes to him and says, all right, that's enough. It's time for it to rain. You need to go back to Ahab. So he didn't, you know, Elijah didn't just like, stop praying. All right, go on my day. It says here, right? Fervently he prayed, continually praying. All right, hold back the rain, Lord. Hold back the rain, Lord. He was continually before him. And when the Lord said, all right, it's time, we're done. He went and went to Ahab and said, okay, the rains are going to come. And at that moment, they had a challenge. That's when you might remember the story where the prophets of Baal line up against Elijah and he's mocking them because they're, you know, trying to build up this thing and call on the gods and cutting themselves to bring down fire from heaven. And uh, that's a great story. We need to talk about that one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then he does, like Elijah calls down fire after these Baal uh, prophets call down unsuccessfully. Um, that's what happens after this rain scenario. And so James is saying, Elijah was a man just like us, had a nature just like us, but he knew the power of prayer and he stood in it. And so whether you're in suffering or whether you're in, in happiness or whether you're in sickness, go to the Lord. He is in everything. He is with you in suffering and happiness and sickness. And do not doubt like one tossed by the waves, that God is listening, that he hears you, and that he's moving. Even when he doesn't move in your time, he is moving, and so keep praying. Finally, James says to them, if anyone wanders from the truth of the gospel, bring him back. He tells us kind of what happens if you do bring him back, that you'll cover a multitude of sins and this man's soul will be saved. But listen, if someone wanders from the truth, don't just let it go by. Because our God is a God who chases after. He has a desire, like I said earlier, in every circumstance in every challenge and every success, to capture your heart. And so if one of your brothers wanders from the truth, don't let it just walk off in the distance. Be like your Father in heaven who desires to capture the heart of those who wander. We've been in Exodus, right? God is one who follows the wandering people, okay? So follow after the wandering brother, James says, you'll save his soul and you'll cover a multitude of sins. 
potentially just like confirm his commitment to Christ in that. You're not like saving him yourself. You're repointing him to Jesus. But very importantly, you'll cover a multitude of sins. This brother continues to wander off. What happens? He sins. And that might sound personal, but its effect is corporate. His sin affects another person, another person, another person, another person. A multitude of sins. Not just his own sin, but the effect of his sin the passing on of it. So in James' fashion, he doesn't end with us lightly. He says it bluntly. We've got to pray. God is with you. Every circumstance, every challenge, he is with you. He's with you in happiness, He's with you in suffering. He's with you in sickness. He's with the one who's wandering. And so chase after them. Know this, that God is with you in every situation. Know this also, that God allows these things in your life that you would have a deep and complete understanding of your dependence upon Him for everything. In Christ Jesus, it all holds together. He sent his own son that we would know how much he loves us. And he is willing to allow whatever circumstance to come into your life, whether good or bad, that you might know how much he loves you. And yeah, it might not come on your timeline. Usually, Oh, well, I'm just going to say always, <laughs> it doesn't come on your timeline. It comes on the Lord's. And so you need to talk to him. If you're suffering, you need to ask him, how long, Lord? If you're happy, you need to thank him. Lord, thank you, not me, thank you. If you're sick, Lord, I don't know what to do. You're the creator of all life. You create every cell in my body. Help me. someone's wandering, pray. Seek them. Don't forget them. He sent his own son that we would know him. So let us live with that kind of love and compassion for um, those around us. Let us live with a knowledge and confidence that that's how much God loves us. That yeah, we will be healed. And then in the end, he will raise us up. It's an eternal hope that can walk a community of believers who've been persecuted out of their home or wandering in, the, in Judea because of their faith can bring them hope. And if it can bring them hope, it can bring us hope as well. And so let's stand in the truth of the gospel that God loves us so much that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the book of James and thank you for its way of speaking very clearly and bluntly to us. And God, we pray that you would um, be applying this message to our hearts and challenging us. Lord, help us to be continually aware of your presence. 
that you haven't left us when we're sick and that you're there when we're happy. That you have purpose in our suffering and that you didn't forget the wanderer. Help us to know these things deeply and, and walk with you in them. Right, seek the lost, pray for the sick, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And do so with the full love that you showed to us in Jesus in whom all things hold together. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.